Um, week seven of our theology class. We are, that's a long time. How, has anyone been here for all seven weeks? Nolan, way to go. Oh, a few people, okay. Awesome. So um, the last two weeks, Corland uh, taught, did a great job um, unpacking uh, the creation of mankind. So, you know, God creating male and female in his image. What does that mean? And then last week we talked about sin. Um, how did sin come into the world? Where did it come from? Uh, what is it? And uh, so that was really good uh, to unpack. But tonight we are talking about the person of Jesus. So I'm excited because this is like my favorite topic to talk about. Um, but specifically, because um, we've kind of touched on um, Jesus in the other weeks as we've talked about the Trinity and the attributes of God and things like that. Uh, and so specifically tonight, our goal is to talk about how, how is Jesus fully God and fully human at the same time? Right? So, um, you know, that's why I put it up there. Um, this is like key to our understanding of who Jesus is. This is actually key to our entire faith. We have to get um, the person of Jesus right. We can't be off on it or else we're kind of veering way off the path. This is not one of those secondary things where we go, well, we can agree to disagree or, you know, you may have a different view of Jesus and that's fine. Like this is so key to our, our faith and what we believe. Um, we see lots of uh, worldviews where people kind of get their view of Jesus twisted. I'd be interested that just as a discussion, what are some... Uh, views of Jesus that you've heard from people or from culture? Have you heard any? Like, I'll get you the ball rolling. So Jesus was just a really great teacher, just a guy, just a guy that lived a long time ago, and he was a great teacher. Um, other things? That Jesus was just a man in right relationship with God. Mm. Okay, yeah. I've heard that one too. Any other views of Jesus that you've heard, maybe? I've heard some people in the progressive community say that Jesus came to actually correct some of the things in the Bible and change what it had said. Okay, yeah. Um, Mormons, they would view Jesus as uh, a created being. He's not God. He is a God, and he's Satan's brother. That's kind of their view. And he's also the, the archangel Michael. Uh, or is that Jehovah's Witnesses? Anyways, um, but speaking of Jehovah Witnesses, also they would say, well, Jesus is not God. He was the first created being. So there's God, and the first thing that God created was Jesus. Um, so there's that kind of view. Um, I don't know, others? I've heard it said that, uh, well, when Jesus was on earth, it's like he kind of took all of his godness and he kind of just laid it aside for a while, right? Um, he wasn't God when he walked on the earth, um, he was only human. So there's that kind of view that you go, okay, that's interesting. Um, I mean, we could just talk for hours about different views um, of Jesus. And so tonight we want to talk about the biblical view. What, like, who is Jesus? How is Jesus fully God and fully man at the same time? So tonight, uh, I talked about it a little bit with Corlin and some other people. Tonight, it's, it, there's the potential for your brain to be turned into a pretzel a little bit. <laughs> because um, much like the Trinity, right? When we talk about the Trinity, our um, 
human logic and human understanding takes us to a certain point, and then you have to believe by faith. Now, that's not to say that like we just go, wow, we'll never understand it, whatever, just believe. No, but like the Trinity, you know, there's one God who exists as three persons, and each person is fully God, and yet there's only one God. I mean, you get to a certain point when you're like, oh man, I think I have a headache trying to like piece this all together. And that's actually a good thing, because if we could fully explain and fully understand God, then he wouldn't be God. So it's a little bit similar tonight. I'm going to do my best to explain and bring us to a certain point where we go, okay, I think I, I think I get how Jesus can be fully God and fully man at the same time, but then there's this step of faith that you have to take to believe it as well. So here's a bit of road, a, a road map of where we want to go. Uh, I want to talk about, first of all, the humanity of Jesus, um, Jesus being fully human, and then talk about uh, the divinity of Jesus, Jesus being fully God, and then talk about how do those two things go together then. And then along the way, talk about some false views of this, ways that people throughout history have tried to explain this. So does that make sense? All right, so we're going to start with the, hum uh, the humanity of Jesus. Was Jesus fully human? Like 100% fully human? So to, to start with, you have to begin with the virgin birth. So Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus did not have a human father. Um, so a couple of uh, verses that talk about that, Matthew 1.18. Uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then Luke 1.35, it's uh, the angel talking to Mary. It says, the angel answered her, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So you can kind of see um, that Jesus is born, or, or rather Mary uh, is pregnant without a human father. Right? That's why Joseph is kind of shocked when Mary, he finds out Mary is pregnant because he goes, well, okay, I know how babies are made, right? So clearly Mary has slept with someone else, but then the angel comes and says, no, 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 Joseph, don't, don't divorce Mary. Uh, it's from the Holy Spirit. It's this miraculous thing that happened. So it's really key, though, like Jesus was born as a human baby, but then there's this key difference, right, that has to do with his birth. He has no human father. Now, why do you think that's so important? Like, is the virgin birth something that we go... This has to be true. Why, why is it so important that Jesus is miraculously conceived and doesn't have a, a human father? Any ideas? Yeah, so he's not born of Adam. So what does that mean? What's this thing? Sorry, say that again. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and I think we talked about that in the... Uh, <laughs> I just laugh at Corland. <laughs> if, you didn't, if you weren't here, it's an inside joke. Um, but uh, yes, uh, when you read Romans 5, it talks about, you know, Adam sinned 
and then sin comes through the man, through the one man, so then all have sinned. So the fact that Jesus is conceived, right, uh, in Mary's womb, and there's no uh, father means that he does not have a, a sinful nature. That's, that's exactly right. Um, and then it actually makes possible the unity of full deity and full humanity being in one person. So it's this idea of, like, it, it couldn't be any other way. Um, it has to be this miraculous birth in order for Jesus to be uh, fully God and fully man at the same time. And that's why even when the angel talks to Mary, um, the angel says the child will be, to be born will be called holy, right? So set apart from birth, un, no, you know, no sin, no sin nature. He's holy. He's set apart. So you see the virgin birth, and then throughout the Gospels, you read about um, a lot of Jesus, his human weaknesses and his human limitations, so just a few things. So num obviously, number one, Jesus had a human body. Um, and you see that uh, through lots of different scriptures. So Luke 2, 7, this is the birth story. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because the, there was no place for them in the inn. So the birth story of Jesus, it just, it reads as a very normal birth of a human being. He was born and his mom wrapped him up and laid him in a manger. Um, Luke 2.40, talking about Jesus, it says, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So Jesus grew up, right, like a normal child would. Grew up, became strong, uh, filled with wisdom. I don't know if the wisdom part is normal for kids. <laughs> uh, that was special. Um, uh, we read about Jesus getting tired, right? So John 4, 6, if you remember, Jesus was traveling with his disciples and they, they come to this well and it says in John 4, 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. So here's Jesus, fully God, fully human, and he gets tired. So you, you see Jesus' humanity. Um, Jesus got thirsty. So John 19, 28, when he's on the cross, it says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So as a human being, he got thirsty. Um, Jesus got hungry. We're told in Matthew 4, 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Like, wouldn't you be <laughs> for not eating for 40 days? And so Jesus, his human body got hungry. Um, and then we know that Jesus physically died in Luke 23, 46, it says, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. So Jesus uh, died bodily. His body actually physically died. And then also Jesus rose physically from the dead. And you read about that in a few different spots in Luke 24 and John 20 and 21, and that's really important because um, lots of people thought, well, maybe Jesus just rose spiritually, right? Maybe his spirit just kind of appeared. But you read that Jesus ate breakfast with his disciples. He like ate some fish in front of them to prove like, look, I'm eating. So like spirits can't eat, right? And then touched my, touched my body. So Jesus rose well, uh, from the dead um, physically, not just spiritually. So you see lots of places. Okay, Jesus had a human body. He got tired. He got thirsty. He got hungry. This is what normal human beings, what they go through. Um, Jesus also had a human mind. 
Um, you see that in a few spots. Luke 2.52, Jesus and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So that's talking about as Jesus grew up physically, he increased in wisdom. He had a human mind. Um, Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So Jesus learned obedience as he grew up. Um, so he had a human mind. Um, thirdly, he had a human soul and emotions. Um, Matthew 26, 38, when Jesus is near his death, it says, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Um, in John 12, 27, Jesus says, now my, my, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Um, John 13, 21, it says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified and then the last thing about his humanity is that people nearest to Jesus saw him as only a man. So that's a really key piece of evidence. When Jesus, his own brothers and sisters, and even his mother, it says that Mary and his brothers and sisters, like they thought that he was a little bit crazy claiming these things. Um, and then a, a, a other people who knew him, like in Matthew 13, people are seeing Jesus doing all these things and they say, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And then in John 7, it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So like the people who were closest to Jesus, they just thought he was a normal guy. He's just a man, right? Um, so it wasn't as if he just appeared human or people went like oh no he's not a human he's like some you know extraterrestrial being or whatever people nearest to him were like isn't that just joseph's son like the guy that worked with the wood like wh where does he get all these things um i don't know other thoughts or, or things that come to mind when we think specifically of of jesus uh his humanity any any comments or questions or thoughts mm-hmm That's a really good question. Um, and we're going to get into, because um, Jesus is the only person that's ever lived that has, that has two natures. So I would say no. But in his human nature, maybe. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Because <laughs> I've had that, okay, so when he's like, when Jesus is lying in the manger as a baby, is he aware he's God? And I would say, yeah, because he has a divine nature. Even then, he knew that he was God. But then you read, um, and we're kind of skipping ahead, but we read that as Jesus as a boy learned and grew in wisdom. Said, well, how, how can you learn and grow wis in wisdom when you're God, right? So... Oh yeah. Yep. 
That's why my, my least favorite Christmas song is, was like, you know, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> he cried. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll come back to this because at the end, kind of talking about, okay, how do we put these two pieces together? Because even already as you're thinking of, okay, Jesus, he got tired, but there's scriptures that say that God never tires. So how can he be tired and be fully God and yet, so we're gonna, we'll get back to that for sure. So a key part, though, of Jesus being um, fully human that we have to like, also really stress is that he was sinless. So he was like us, right? He was fully human. He got tired. He got hungry. He learned. He growed. And like, all those kind of things. But the one area where he's not like us is that he was without sin, and he never committed sin in his entire lifetime. Um, there's no evidence in any of the Gospels of any wrongdoing. Um, anyways, um, and so I'll give you a few examples. Like in John 8, 29, Jesus says, He has not left me alone. And this, he's speaking about his Father. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Um, John 15, 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus keeps his Father's commandments. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, this is talking about Jesus, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus knew no sin. Um, Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then in Hebrews 7, 26, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And then lastly, 1 Peter 2, 22, talking about Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So the key difference, right, Jesus is like us, uh, fully human, but he never sinned in his entire life. Uh, he wasn't born with a sin nature. He never, and it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around because I'm like, even as a kid, like, he never, you know, swore at his brother or whatever, right? But it's so hard because we are so sinful <laughs> that it's hard to imagine living a life where you never sin. Um, and, and, I mean, being tempted like we are, but, and yet never sinned. Um, that's really important um, because if Jesus had sinned, then he could not be our sacrifice for our sins. It was interesting. I don't know if people, I don't do TikTok, um, but I, I watch TikTok videos once they've been posted to YouTube, right? Like an adult. Um, <laughs> but there's this, uh, I'm going to use the word pastor loosely. There's a pastor named Brandon Robertson. Has everyone, anyone heard of him? And he's quite famous on TikTok for doing these like little short videos. Very, uh, very progressive, very, you know, we don't have to trust the Bible and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But he made this video talking about that Jesus sinned that Jesus um, was being racist towards the Syrophoenician woman. If you remember that story, when the woman comes and says, like, please, and he says, well, how does it um, go? Can't give, yeah, can't give to the dogs food for the children, and then she kind of, and then he goes, wow, you have such great faith. So um, 
this, this pastor's whole video was like, he called her a dog. That's like a racial slur. And she then like called him on it and Jesus had to repent. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, what? No, 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 no. Like if that's true, then Jesus' death on the cross means nothing because if he's just a sinner like us, then how could he have possibly uh, paid for our sins? So it's really important that we um, hold to scripture that, that clearly shows us, no, Jesus was without sin. Um, he never once sinned. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And yet you can see even like, that video is from last year, I think. Even in our day and age, people are like, well, is it that big of a deal? He sinned. He was a human, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's a slippery slope, right? Um, so this leads me to the question that I would love to hear some feedback on. Could Jesus have sinned? And this is, this is like, a, we're getting into some like philosophy here. <laughs> Because I'll like unpack it a little bit, but I want to hear some, some of your thoughts. Some have argued what is called um, impeccability, meaning Jesus was not actually able to sin because he's God. And then others on the flip side have said, no, Jesus was totally able to sin because if he couldn't, then how are any of his temptations real, right? He had to be able to at least sin. Um, or else, yeah, when it says that he was tempted, well, he wasn't really tempted, right? But if it's God sinning, can God sin? Like, I don't know. I would love to hear thoughts. I think he could have, but he never would have. <laughs> yeah. From before, before the creation of the world, he never was going to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, I, I think that argument that if he couldn't have watched the world, Mm -hmm. And Jesus says he, he was obedient to the Father. Mm -hmm. He was always obedient. And so without being able to disobey, he can't obey. Mm -hmm. Just like Adam. Yep. He did better than Adam. One other thing that uh, C.S. is kind of a side note, but C.S. Lewis said about, uh, about Jesus, uh, his humanity, his being tempted. He said he was. People complain that, well, Jesus was perfect and he had an advantage that I don't have because, you know, he was perfect and I'm not. And they said, well, if you've ever been tempted, the more you resist temptation, like if you give in to temptation right away, you don't know anything about being tempted. Hmm. If you give in right away, what do you know about it? Right. The person who holds out and resists the end and resists it completely knows more about temptation than any of us do. Yeah. Yeah. kind of a pointless exercise, right? Totally. Look at this, my front row student. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I get, I get the idea where people wrestle with that because they go, 
Well, you know, James 1 says that God cannot be tempted with evil. And if Jesus is fully God, so I, I, I understand the argument where you go, okay, he's fully God. But I also agree with you that um, the, when the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way we are and yet was without sin, we should hold on to that going. It wasn't as if Jesus was like, oh, yeah, this is really tempting, <laughs> right? And he's, he's not, right? Um, so I, I agree that I think Jesus, his temptations were real. Uh, and yet I understand where people are coming from because it is a, a wrestle to go, okay, Jesus is fully God. God cannot be tempted with evil. So how do we, how do we reconcile these things? So... Yes, right. Praying in the garden. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, in the garden, yeah, when he's, it's a it's presented as a very real struggle, not just like, well, I'm God, so I'm not worried about it. It's like, no, he's sweating drops of blood, like he's in that much agony going, if there's any other way, God, please. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he wasn't just like, <laughs> I'm the perfect baby. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Because if we, if we truly say, okay, Jesus is fully human, yeah, there are certain things that aren't sinful, but as you're learning to be a human, learn, that's the wrong way, to, you, know, you know what I'm saying, as you're growing up, there's things that you do and you make, you fall over and blah, yeah, totally, I think so, yeah. Um, so why is Jesus' full humanity so necessary? Right? I think scripture teaches Jesus was fully human. He had a human body. He had a human mind. He had a human soul and emotions. Um, he was tempted. Yet the difference between Jesus and us is that Jesus uh, was perfectly sinless. Why, why is it so necessary that he's fully man? Um, I'm going to give you six reasons why, but I don't know. Um, any thoughts like... Why couldn't it just be Jesus comes as just fully God and boom, here I am, I'm going to die for your sins and we're done. Like why, why is his humanity so necessary to our salvation? Or why not just half man? Right, you could go Jesus is half man, half God um, or just a spirit or just appearing like a man. Why is it scripture so like over and over so um, stressing the fact that no, he was fully human. Why do you think that's so necessary or important. Totally. 
Yeah, that was one of my reasons. He, he had to be fully human to sympathize with us. So I'm kind of jumping around, but it's on your page somewhere. Hebrews 2.18, speaking of Jesus, says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So if Jesus was not fully human, he couldn't sympathize with us. You're exactly right. Um, I'll just go in order here so it's in order on the page there. But um, Jesus had to be fully human to be our representative um, as human beings uh, because he obeyed for us where Adam failed. So Romans 5, 18 and 19 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus had to be fully human to represent us as humanity and obey um, where we failed. Um, if he was just God, then it, then it, okay, well, yeah, of course God can perfectly obey and fulfill the law, but he had to be man to represent us. Um, the second thing is that he had to be fully man to be our substitute sacrifice, um, in Hebrews 2, 16 and 17, it says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's human beings. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus had to be made like us in every way, so that he could go and be a sacrifice for our sins. Um, thirdly, Jesus had to be fully human to be our, our mediator. Um, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So Jesus had to be fully human to be someone that can represent us to God and God to us. Um, fourthly, he's our example and our pattern. Um, couple of verses that talk about that. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all, that's us, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Um, Romans 8.29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So Jesus had to be fully human because he then says, well, follow me. Like, here's the example. Do what I did, right? Um, and we are transformed more and more and more into the image of Jesus. Um, fifthly, that he is the pattern for our redeemed bodies. So this is getting ahead to like the end times. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, it says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus, rising from the dead bodily, he's kind of this pattern for what's going to happen at the end of all things, when we have resurrected bodies like he did. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, Just as, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, right? Our bodies will be made new like his. And then Colossians 1, 18, uh, And he is the head of the, the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So you see all of these reasons, right, that 
that Jesus being fully human is really, really necessary. Um, I don't know, are there others that maybe I, I missed that you can think of why it's so important that Jesus is fully human? And the last thing about his humanity is that Jesus is fully human and fully God forever now. Um, he will be for all eternity, fully God and fully man. He didn't just like temporarily become a man. And then now when I go back to heaven, I'm like, okay, I'm done with the human part. And now Jesus is just, you know, a spirit in heaven again. No, he is forever now, fully God and fully man. His divine nature was permanently united to his human nature. I remember uh, not realizing that early on in my Christian walk. Like, I thought, okay, Jesus was a human here, but when he ascended into heaven, he's not a human anymore. It's like, nope, he is. He's fully God and fully man for all eternity now. Um, yeah. Any thoughts or questions before we jump into the second half, that Jesus is fully God? Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I have a friend that's a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I get what you're saying. The order is a little bit off. Like, for right now, when you die, your body goes in the ground and your spirit goes to be with Jesus. Um, but at the, re uh, the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Revelation, when Jesus returns, your spirit and your body will be reunited and it will be like a... a perfected resurrection body somehow similar to how Jesus was, <laughs> if that makes sense. There's a lot of mystery, like, what's it going to look like? What age will my body be? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, so for right now, if you were to die, you would not have a body in heaven. Your body goes in the ground. Your spirit goes to heaven. But at the end of all things, it's like they're, they're reunited. So yes, like all eternity is a physical you will have a body. I think, is that what you mean? Like for all eternity? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, the deity of Jesus, right? So scripture clearly shows Jesus is fully man. And now we need to like look at the other side here because Jesus is also fully God. Now I'm not going to spend as much time um, on this part because we kind of touched on this a little bit when it talked about um, the Trinity and things like that, the divinity of Jesus. But we'll just kind of recap it a little bit. Um, so you see uh, direct scriptural claims. So not just like uh, allusions to, well, maybe he's deity. You see very direct spiritual claims, like John 1.1. 1, 1. Um, it says, in the beginning was the Word, um, and that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. So here, you have a direct claim. Jesus is God. 
And then uh, in Romans 9, 5, uh, Paul says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. So there's a statement that, you know, Jesus is the Christ, and he is God over all. Um, Titus 2.13, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he calls Jesus Christ his great God and Savior. Um, Hebrews 1.8, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Right? So to the Son, he's saying, your throne, O God, he's calling the Son, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, uh, it says, uh, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, those are just a handful of passages that uh, are just direct claims where it says Jesus is called God. Um, the other interesting thing uh, that I, I just find kind of cool is the, in the Greek language, the word kyrios, so um, K-Y-R-O-S, kyrios, that is translated Lord in our Bibles. And you'll probably notice, I think all translations do this, but if not, most do, you'll see Lord with all caps. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Um, it's because Kyrios in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, so it's called the Septuagint, it uses this word, Kyrios, Lord, to only refer to God um, in, the, in the, the Greek Old Testament. It's used 6,000, this blew me away, 6,814 times in the Greek Old Testament, Kyrios, Lord, to talk solely of God. And then when you get into the New Testament, over and over and over and over again, the, the word kyrios is used to describe Jesus. He's called, all caps, Lord, the, the kyrios. So it's just one of, again, just one of the connections linguistically. Okay, so in the, in the Old Testament, they only call God kyrios. And in the New Testament, they call Jesus kyrios. Um, so it's, again, this kind of subtle uh, claim that he is God. And then you just see all these different evidences that, okay, clearly Jesus possessed um, attributes of deity. Um, you see his omnipotence, meaning um, his power. Just one example, Matthew 8, um, when, if you remember when they're on the sea and um, the disciples are freaking out because we're going to die and the water's coming into the boat. And then it's, Jesus says, he said to them, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? So again, like, normal human beings don't just stand up and say, hey, wind, knock it off, and the wind obeys. Like, that's not normal, right? <laughs> that's why the disciples in the boat are like, uh... Who is this guy? Who, like, the wind and the sea obey him. And then you just look at all the examples. I mean, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with one lunch, multiplies food. Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus walks on water. Like, all of these things that display his power, which is not normal, right? It's, it's this miraculous, these miraculous things that happen, showing that he has power. Um, Jesus displays throughout the gospel his omniscience, meaning he, um, his all-knowing, right? He knows everything. In Mark 2, 8, 
it says, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So, I mean, Jesus could read their minds. He could see what they were thinking in their hearts. And he goes, why are you thinking those things? Um, John 1, 48, um, if you remember when Jesus calls some of the first disciples, he talks to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Like, that was a ways away. It wasn't like, yeah, I saw you just down the road by the fig tree, and this was earlier in the day. And so Jesus says, yeah, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you, Nathaniel. So he's all-knowing, right? Um, John 6, 64 uh, it says, but there are some of you who do not believe, and then there's this little bracket, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So Jesus knew who were the people who were going to believe in him. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Um, John 2.25, it says, because he knew all people and needed no one to, to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Like to think about that, Jesus knew all men. He knew all people. And he knew what was inside them, right? So you see these little glimpses. Okay, Jesus is all-knowing. Like, normal people uh, can't do stuff like that. (laughs) Um, Then you get a few statements about Jesus, his um, eternity. The fact that even though, uh, you know, physically speaking, he was around 30 years old, he makes these claims that, well, I've existed forever, Right, John 8, 58, uh, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Like, so Abraham lived like thousands of years before this. And Jesus is saying, yeah, before Abraham was, I was already there. So it's this claim to eternity. And then in Revelation 22, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, I've, I've always existed. So, I mean, you see pretty clearly all of these claims to divinity. So, um, thoughts, questions that come up. questions sweet so then the question is okay did Jesus give up some of his divine attributes does anyone know what the this theory is called this is like a deep dive (laughs) the kenosis theory did Jesus um take some of his divinity and just kind of like put it aside for a bit. Um, I don't know, initial like reactions to that? I think he had it the whole time, but he was able to step away to participate in the things he had to do. Okay. So I'll read the passage where people kind of say, well, look, it kind of says this. So Philippians 2, verses 5 to 7. Um, Paul's writing and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and 
Yeah, we'll stop there, verse 7. So uh, either your translations say he emptied himself or he made himself nothing. And that's literally what the word in Greek, kenosis, just means emptied. And so some people have said, well, look, Paul said that Jesus emptied himself. So maybe he emptied himself of his divinity. He kind of just like laid it aside. So I mean, yeah, it feels like, no. <laughs> so this theory started to become popular in, in Germany in the 1860s. Uh, so between 1860 and 1880 in Germany, there's, there are these German scholars who started to read Philippians 2 and go trying to understand, okay, well, how, do we, how do we reconcile Jesus being fully God, fully man at the same time? And then it kind of spread, and in the 1890s, uh, 1890s to the 1910s. I think it was England. Is that what I wrote down? Yeah, in England, they more more scholars started going. Well, maybe. Um, and you'll you'll hear these kind of statements. I mean, we started tonight by saying, you know, what are some um, versions of Jesus that you've heard of? And uh, you'll start to hear the kenosis theory in how people use certain language. Um, so, for instance, um, Todd White is a very uh, popular teacher in the United States, and he'll say things like, um, and I'm trying to think so I get it accurate, but he'll say things like, Jesus never performed miracles as God, only as a man. He emptied himself, but then he'll say, I mean, he was fully God, but he emptied himself, and he only ever did miracles as a man. So there's an example of our present day and age of someone that believes the kenosis theory, that Jesus wasn't really fully God. If you empty yourself, you can't be fully God. Um, I've heard Bill Johnson from Bethel Church say lots of stuff like this. I think, Corlin, that was your quote, right? That Jesus was just a man in right relationship with God. And he'll say, I've heard it in so many sermons that I've listened to, um, where he says something like, you know, he, he, he laid it aside. I mean, he was fully God, but he laid it aside, which I'm like, well, if you're fully God, you can't lay it aside. That, those are contradictory statements, right? Um, but there's kenosis theory going, right? Um, and so basically, the theory is, well, maybe Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes while he was on earth as a man. Maybe he wasn't really all-knowing, or maybe he wasn't all-powerful, and, and it's almost like, well, Jesus kind of um, self-limited himself. Um, so why is there problems with this? Um, there's a couple reasons why. Um, one of the first reasons, and it's not the only reason, but one of the first reasons is no recognized teacher in the first 1,800 years of Christianity ever thought this. <laughs> so I'm not saying that that's the only reason you don't believe something, but for like almost 1,900 years, no one in the church ever thought this. And then all of a sudden, some scholars go, hey, I have a new idea. You should be maybe a little bit suspicious, right? Um, so that's the first reason. Secondly, the text in Philippians 2, if you read it, it doesn't say that Jesus emptied himself um, of divine attributes. The whole context of Philippians 2 is Paul is encouraging the church to be humble, right? So if you back up a little bit, in Philippians 2, verse 3, he says to the church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So here's the context. Paul is saying, guys, you've got to be humble 
and look to other people instead of yourselves. And then, he, and then he goes, here's the example. Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. So Jesus emptying himself is not saying that, okay, now I'm going to take all my godness and just kind of put it aside. What, what does it mean that he emptied himself or he made himself nothing? It means he humbled himself by taking a lowly status and position, right? It was a change of role and status, not a change of his attributes or his nature, right? So he comes and he puts on humanity in humility to go to the cross. So that's, that's, what, Jesus, that, that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying Jesus made himself nothing, meaning he put on flesh. He, he humbled himself. Um, and Paul is telling the church, you guys should be like that, be like that too. Be humble, uh, put other people ahead of yourself. Give up your status and your privilege. So that's what Philippians 2 is getting at. Um, he, Paul's not saying that Jesus didn't cease to, or didn't stop being God. And the other key thing is that there's nowhere else in the Bible that even, like when you, when you try and build a doctrine off of like three words in one verse, I'm not saying that that's impossible, but when no other scripture in the entire Bible supports this idea, you should at least be suspicious going, uh, if it was that important, why wouldn't Paul address it in Colossians or Ephesians or First and Second Corinthians, right? So um, I, I don't believe in the kenosis theory. Um, I don't think Jesus laid aside his divinity. I don't know. Thoughts? Or questions or things that... Hmm. Okay. Which would make sense. Yeah. Now we're going to get into it at the end. Okay, but if, if Jesus is like all-knowing, then how can it say that he grew in wisdom as a kid? Like, we're going to get into that. How do you hold those two things together? Because you can go, well, if he really was all-knowing, then how did he grow in wisdom? Wouldn't he just know everything? Or if he's all-powerful, then why was he hungry and thirsty? So we'll, we'll get into that. But I think this is an example of people going, Jesus being fully God and fully man doesn't make any sense. We have to explain it. So the only logical explanation is, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really fully God. He kind of just laid it aside or emptied himself or... Um, you know, made himself nothing. So he just kind of, and, and I get it if you're trying to explain away. Yep. Um, yeah, like if he's obviously born as a newborn baby, was there like a point in which all of a sudden he's God? Like, I'm in the sense of like all knowing, so obviously he's not a six month old. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because right. he doesn't want to talk. Or yeah. So is there anything in the Bible that talks about there being like a like a a switchover like a Well, let me give you Okay, this is good. I'm glad you brought that up cuz let me give you some more 
ways that people have tried to wrap their brains around it because that might help us kind of go, okay. So, um, because that was one, that's one view that Jesus added. Oh, I know. No, no, yeah. Because there is one view where they say, well, maybe it was at his baptism that he became like fully God. So I'm not, I'm not saying that you believe that. <laughs> um, so there's a few views. There's one called docetism, which was, this one's easy to deny because it's just they deny that Jesus was actually human. Um, they say that he was just a spiritual being. And it's really influenced by Plato and Aristotle, like Greek thought at the time, where it was like the spiritual is good, the physical is bad. So Jesus was just kind of a spiritual being. And they'll say that he appeared human, but he wasn't actually human. He just kind of looked human. So that was one explanation. There's one called Apollinarianism. I don't know who comes out of these names. Uh, well, this one makes sense. It was put forward by a guy named Apollinaris. Um, he was a bishop in 361 AD. And he taught that Jesus had a human body, but not a human mind or a human spirit. So um, I'll draw a picture to help you. He kind of viewed it as, you know, uh, that's not, <laughs> if I could draw the right, <laughs> nope. Um, he kind of viewed it as like two halves of an eggshell. So Jesus had, um, he had a human, just a human body. And then it was like, what am I doing? Nope. I can't draw. There's the other eggshell. So he had a human body and then he had his divine nature. So it was kind of like, he's kind of split in two. Jesus didn't really have human emotions or human mind or human spirit. It was like body and then his divine nature just kind of sandwiched the other half of that. So it's problematic, right? Because we've seen um, already from scripture that Jesus clearly had a human mind and he had a human spirit. He was fully human. Then there's one called Nestorianism. Um, and this guy said, um, Nestorus, he said that there was two separate persons inside of Jesus. So you have um, a human person, and then you have a divine person. So it's like two separate beings, or whatever you want to call it. So he didn't think Jesus had two separate natures. He said, no, he's like two separate persons, just kind of mashed into one body, which again is problematic because scripture doesn't really teach that. Um, then you have, so you can see like the early church wrestled with this. Like, well, how do we explain this, right? Same with the Trinity. The, the early church had to, okay, how do we understand who God is? So then you had monophysitism, right? Great. Uh, this one, I don't understand why it's called monophysitism because it was taught by a guy named Eutyches. Um, in 378 to like the 400s. But he taught um, that Jesus only had one nature. Um, so how, did, how, did, how do I draw this? Um, so he, you kind of have, if you have his human nature, so he's human and he's divine, but they just kind of get mashed up. And here's Jesus. He's, he's a mix of these two natures into one nature. Um, the idea that they're just kind of like absorbed together. That was one way that people said, well, maybe that's kind of how it is. There's adoptionism, which is what you were kind of alluding to. Like, was there a certain point where Jesus became fully God? Um, 
Adoptionism taught that Jesus was just a human being who then God adopted as his son at his baptism. Because if you remember in Matthew chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, the sky opens, and then from heaven, God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So some people say, okay, well, maybe that was like when all of a sudden Jesus, I don't know, right? He's fully God now, um, or he's endowed with divinity. Um, so you can see there's all these kind of examples. There's one called dynamic incarnation. So that is, well, the incarnation was just the, the, the presence of God's power just within a human person. So it was, he's not really God and man, he's just man with God's power inside of him. Um, and so on and on and on, the church kind of wrestled and went, how do we explain this correctly? And then you get to uh, this council that they had in 451 AD. So think about that, for 400 years, the early church was like, how do we explain this? How do we get this right? No, it's not that, no, it's not that, no, it's not. So then... Um, at uh, Chalcedon, the Council of Chalcedon, they came up with this definition. And I'll draw this picture to go along with this um, definition. They didn't draw the picture. Um, so if you remember our, our picture to help us understand the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're not divided, but it's just kind of like, if you remember that picture from the Trinity week, because we're not saying that God is split into three parts. There's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, so then, if you think about who Jesus is, you then have um, the divine nature of Jesus. I'm going to try and draw this so it's not confusing. <laughs> Combined with a human nature... And here is the person of Jesus, who has two natures, but he is one person. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, so here's the definition. I'll, I'll read this to you. This is what they came, I should have put it on your paper, sorry. This is what they, the, the early church, I guess it's not early anymore, in 451 AD, this is what they came up with. We then, the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, Teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial, coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, that's kind of what that drawing is, inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of nature being by no means taken away by the, by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, the only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, the creed of the Holy Fathers has been handed down to us. 
I'm like, wordy? It's very wordy. But you can tell that they were trying to cover all their bases. Because then people will be like, oh, so what are you saying? That um, he, ha he only has one nature? They're like, no, he has two natures. <laughs> oh, so he's two people? No, he's one. You can see that, right? They're trying to make sure, okay, how can we be as clear as possible? So I, for me, this really helps me because um, Jesus is one person, and yet he has a divine nature, and he has a human nature that... Um, coexist, if you want to use this is a bad phrase, but in his one person, right? So it's similar, okay, God, there's one God, and yet he's three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is one person, but he has two natures. He has a human nature, and he has a divine nature, and both are, are he's fully God, right, in his divine nature. He's fully man in his human nature. I don't know. I would love to hear, okay, thoughts... Is that more confusing than good? <laughs> I think it's neat that the, the Trinity is one nature, and then, the, and then Jesus is two natures, right? It's kind of like the opposite of what he already has, right? Because, mm -hmm. anyway, it's just it, like that. And so for me, this answers the questions of, okay, how can God be all-powerful or sorry, how can Jesus be all-powerful and yet weak and hungry and thirsty? It's because he has two natures. He's, he's all-powerful in his divine nature, and he's weak and hungry and thirsty in his human nature, and they, they exist at the same time. They right. must not interact with each other then either, kind of like you're... Yep. So then that answers too. Okay, how can he, like your question, how can he learn things as he grows up, and yet how can he be all-knowing? And so there's this tension where you go, and you, I think you asked at the beginning, okay, so did the baby Jesus, did he know he was God? And I would say yes, because he had his divine nature, and yet he grew in wisdom and stature and understanding with his human nature. And we go, and I'll read this quote now because it's so good. He says, um, I can't remember who wrote this, but he said, the doctrine of the unification of divine and human within Jesus is difficult to comprehend because it posits the combination of two natures that by definition have contradictory attributes. As deity, Christ is infinite in knowledge, power, and presence. If he's God, he must know all things. He can do all things that are proper objects of his power. He can be everywhere at once. But on the other hand, if he was a human, he was limited in knowledge. He could not do everything. And he certainly was limited to being in one place at a time. And I love this. For one person to be both infinite and finite simultaneously... Seems impossible, right? Where we go, Jesus is infinite, and yet he is finite in his humanity. And we, we wrestle with, okay, how do these two things kind of go together? So this helps, though, when we go, okay, Jesus had two distinct natures, um, and yet it, they were in one person. Um, so when we go, okay, Jesus, his human nature, he was around 30 years old right? 33, maybe. Um, that's how old he was. But in his divine nature, he's eternally existed forever. Um, in Jesus' human nature, he was weak and tired, but in his divine nature, he's all-powerful. Um, in his human nature, he's restricted to one place at one time, and yet in his divine nature, he's omnipresent. And you go, oh, my brain hurts, <laughs> right? So, uh, 
there is a part where you go, I don't know if we'll ever fully be able to wrap our minds around it. Um, but this is what Scripture teaches. It teaches fully man, fully God, two natures in one person at the same time. Um, one example that I think is really interesting is in Matthew 8. Uh, it's, again, the story of the storm. But Jesus is asleep in the boat, right? So I go, okay, Jesus was tired physically, so he's sleeping. And then he stands up and he tells the wind and the waves what to do because he's God. So I'm like, here's both kind of aspects, right? As a human being, he needed to sleep, but then he just stands up and he commands the weather what to do because he's God. So you see kind of both natures in one story. I don't know, other, other thoughts or questions that come to mind? Are people confused or does this like help? <laughs> Totally. To accurately, we kind of have to really paint the picture. We actually don't have to fully define it. Yeah, and I think I get the tension of people throughout history trying to, but you, you saw that it always leads to error when you're like, okay, I think I figured it out. What about this? And then it's like, no, it's not, that's wrong. And it's the same with the Trinity. Throughout history, people have tried to explain. The Trinity is, oh, maybe God just appears in different modes or blah, blah, blah. Because that would make more sense, humanly. But they're always, they always air off into heresy because you, 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 you get to a certain place where you go, okay, I have to believe this by faith now. I understand. I can, I can understand a certain, uh, that Jesus okay, had two natures in one person, okay. But then, yeah, okay, as a baby, is it, you just have to go, I just believe by faith that that is who Jesus is, fully God, fully man. I think when you said this, do you, do you think we understand it truly that he wasn't, that that divine nature is a human nature? Mm-hmm. Is it something outside of what we know in our experience and what we can understand? And that's okay. I actually think it's a good thing. Yeah. What we've gone through, but in the end, for them to know him as a savior, to believe him by faith, to the point where it's you have to almost be done explaining and believe. Mm-hmm. And like with the Trinity and with the nature of Jesus, I actually find it uh, a good thing that it's so far above our understanding. Because if it wasn't, then he wouldn't be God if we were like, yeah, we can totally, he's just like us, we can explain it away. It's like, there has to be an element of, man, this is so far above what my mind can even fathom. I think that's actually a a good thing. It points to the truthfulness of it, right? Because if we were making something up, we wouldn't make something so complicated, right? (laughs) I shouldn't say complicated, but we wouldn't make it, like if it was, we would try and simplify it if we were just making it up but you get this, okay, this has to be God because it's so outside of what my brain is able to fully comprehend, right? Totally. Like, 
Somebody totally just made that up. <laughs> Someone just started on a bunch of violence. So, it's so human. <laughs> yeah. So just a, a few wrap, wrapping up thoughts, closing thoughts. Um, the union of Jesus' two natures, like he has two distinct natures in one person, but that doesn't mean, I want to be clear, it doesn't mean that, okay, he was God sometimes and then he was human other times. Um, he, was, he was fully God and fully man at the same time, right? Even though he has two distinct natures, or uh, yeah, two distinct natures. But sometimes you just see the functional limitations of humanity imposed on the divinity. If that, so this is not, that, that doesn't mean that there was a reduction of the power and capacity of Jesus as being God. But one scholar said, it's a circumstance-induced limitation on the exercise of his power and capacity. Like this is just how his divine and his human nature is interactive. One guy I read, he explained it this way, and take it for, for what it is, it's just an illustration. He said, okay, Usain Bolt is the fastest man in the world. Is he still? Yeah, Usain Bolt. But the guy that just like ran in front of everyone with his arms out because he was so far ahead, right? Um, did anyone watch those races? It was amazing. So Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. If Usain Bolt participated in a three-legged race, even though he's the fastest man in the world, he would still have limitations. And so one author was like, maybe that, yeah, Jesus is fully divine, but his human nature placed some just normal human limitations on him. And I'm like, okay, I get that. It's not as if, if Usain Bolt is in a three-legged race, he stops being the fastest man in the world. No, he still is. It's just his circumstances have now changed. You, know, you get what I'm saying? So I was like, that's an interesting, again, you can't, illustrations you can't push too far because no illustration will fully explain it. But I'm like, okay, that makes somewhat of a little bit of sense. Okay, so Jesus, he, his human nature, sure, placed, if you want to call it limitations to a certain degree. He didn't stop being God, but it was just the circumstances that he was in. I'm like, yeah, I could, I could get on board with that. <laughs> I would love to see Usain Bolt in a three-legged race, but he humbled himself. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Totally. That's a great example. Right? He's all knowing. I know what I'm about to do, and yet he's still emotional over it because it was his friend. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because it seems as though he's humbled himself to the Father's will. Mm -hmm. A lot of times he's doing things not by his own will. Yep. In that time. Yep. You know, like praying to the Father because he's showing us, man, what we need to be doing. Totally. Yep. Any other last thoughts or questions or...
Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was 12, probably. So, like, I know 12 year olds. <laughs> I'm not amazed at <laughs> But you're right. It's that, yeah, he's asking questions, and then people are still like, who is this kid? Like, how does he know so? Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yep. So, you could see why so many people. And for so long, wrestled with, like, who is Jesus? How do we explain this? That's why his disciples, even, his own family. I mean, Jesus is clearly a human being standing in front of them. And he's making all these claims about, yeah, I've existed forever. I can forgive sins. But, and no wonder people are like, what are you talking about? Because like, there's no other model for this anywhere. Like, this divine nature, human nature, and one person, fully God, fully man, like, so it, it doesn't surprise me that it took, you know, 400 years for the church to really nail this down and go, okay, no, here's our statement. Here's what we believe about Jesus. Um, but for me, it's just amazing. It just makes me in awe of Jesus even more uh, and what he came to do for us. So, yeah, hopefully that's been uh, helpful, interesting. Let me pray to close and then, yeah, I thought that was going to take a lot longer, but way to go, guys. <laughs> So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word and for uh, the theology that we find in it and what we believe about you. And Jesus, we are just blown away by who you are, um, that you are fully God and fully human, um, two natures in one person at the same time. And to be honest, I mean, our, our brains can get into a, a bit of a pretzel when we when we think and dwell on these things, um, but I think that just shows that uh, you are God and you are so far above us. So thank you that you've given us minds to, to dig in and to ponder and to think and to um, uh, you know, come to conclusions, but I pray that we would get to a certain point where we just have to believe certain things by faith uh, because humanly speaking, it's just so hard to explain. And so, God, we just believe by faith that, um, Jesus, you are who you said you are. Um, you are fully human, and you are fully God. And so we just worship you. Thank you for who you are and that you came. And so just thanks for this evening. I pray that this would have been helpful and interesting and just deepen our understanding of you. And so I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.